Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Lindsay Boyd, author of Brand Famous, international speaker, and global partner at Sherlaw's Group. It's great to have you along today for this episode of the Arate Podcast, and I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation with Lindsay Boyd to you. She was over in Brisbane from the UK, and while we were recording this, we were sitting on the roof of a hotel in New Farm, and let me tell you, it was an extremely hot day, and so uh, we were melting in the sun while having a great conversation, and I'm sure you'll probably hear some background noise, uh, but that's because of where we were, and it was a wonderful experience, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the discussion. Before I introduce Lindsay to you, let me briefly introduce myself for those people who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if I can be of any assistance to you, please reach out to me via our website or through LinkedIn, and I look forward to seeing how I can be of service. Now, let me introduce to you, Lindsay Boyd. Lindsay Boyd is an international speaker, author, and global partner of Shuler's Group. By age 24, she had set up and sold two businesses. Her second company, which had seven global distribution channels, was sold to Caterpillar. Her third business, Surgery, became renowned for influencing and industry championing some of the UK's most well-respected high street consumer brands known today. Lindsay's number one bestseller, Brand Famous, How to Get Everyone Talking About Your Business, was awarded Book of the Month by the CIM in July 2014 and 2015 Winner Marketing Category by Small Business Trends in the US. Today, as a global partner in Sherlaw's Group, she works in the SME space, taking business owners on a journey to grow, fund and exit their business. Lindsay lives in the UK with her young family. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Lindsay Boyd. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the Arate Podcast. Hello. Great to have you uh, along here in sunny Brisbane and having travelled over from a uh, rainy UK. Yes, exactly. I'm very happy to be sat on a rooftop as well in the sunshine. Oh, that's great. So, look, um, this podcast is really aimed at senior executives and non-executive directors, uh, uh, talking to people who have achieved great things in their career as a way of uh, perhaps uh, offering some advice and some stories to help people to accelerate their own careers. So why don't we start by just talking about uh, your career current range of professional responsibilities? Well, I'm a group partner of a business called Sherlaw's Group. I was brought in to do the brand extension Mm -hmm. for the whole of the global business. Right. And I'm also an author of a book called Brand Famous. Right. And I um, head up and have developed a school through Sherlaw's group called Bob School that inspires and educates a new generation of business leaders to create a famous brand. Right, okay, so you mentioned you've been brought in for the rebrand of Sherlaw's, so that's a fairly recent thing, is it? Um, I was brought in uh, three years ago to look at where Sherlaw's was and where Sherlaw's could go and develop out the full brand strategy for a global positioning mm-hmm. and um, we actually teach people that brand versus branding is very different and building a brand strategy really looks at the end-to-end conversation that overlays through the whole of the business strategy. Okay, okay. So that's what I've been brought in to do and I've worked alongside Darren, the CEO, for the last 
two and a half years. So branding's really your core expertise. Uh, was your book something that you'd written um, prior to commencing uh, with Sherlock's? Yeah, I've always built businesses and brands. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I started out my journey when I was 18. Right. And um, on my third business, I had an agency and we worked with some very international brands like G-Star, Wrangler, Superdry okay. and so forth. Mark Newson, who mm-hmm. is a, an Aussie boy who sure. designed the iWatch. And um, from working, um, working building brands pretty much all my life, I realized that there was definitely a method to the madness mm-hmm. and decided to write a book that incorporated all the process that I had done with all these very big famous right. brands for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I wrote that down into a book called okay. Brand Famous, right. got a global uh, publishing deal with Capstone, mm-hmm. and away you go. Right, and the, your book was uh, uh, very well received in the market, and you uh, got quite a significant award for the book as well, didn't you? I did. Uh, the Chartered Institute of Marketing right. gave it um, Book of the Month. It's won awards in America. Interestingly, with the Chartered Institute of Marketing, um, I never studied in marketing or right. brand. In fact, I don't think I've ever read a marketing or brand book in my life. And um, they uh, they announced it as their Book of the Month, which right. was quite a sure. you know quite an honour, prestige to right. say that you know Good I'm not really you. from that world. Right. So, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, let's come to all of that, but let's go back to where it all began. Tell us a little bit about you know where you were born and uh, your early life, mum and dad, and the family, and so on. And uh, it's a and then we'll start to talk through your career to now. Well, I was born in Leeds, which is in the north of England. Right. And. Um, I was brought up, I've got two older brothers, my parents, and I very much came from a family that uh, both my grandparents were from the rag trade, so okay. they both uh, came from fashion and manufacturing right. and, and, and that world, and my mum mm-hmm. also was the same. So I was brought up, instead of reading storybooks as a baby, I was brought up reading Vogue. Right. <laughs> and um, so it was kind of inbred in me from a young age. So. Uh, when I uh, left school at the age of 15, um, my dad was my dad was a dentist here. He ran his own business, and to be fair, like they came from quite a traditional world. Right. Um, and the daughter leaving school at the age of 15 to say she wanted to go and work in a clothes shop was not really the ideal thing that my parents thought they had right. in mind for me. Sure. <laughs> However, at the age of 18, when I decided to buy my first shop mm-hmm. um, and brought Diesel and Replay, which at the time were quite um, small brands, mm-hmm. believe it or not, Diesel was quite a small brand. Sure. I brought it into the north of England. Um, the shop was incredibly successful for a young girl of 18. And so that would have been, at the time, for you, uh, quite a a bold move and not without a fair degree of risk. What was it about yourself that gave you the confidence that you would be able to do that at 18 and make a success of it? Interestingly, um, I I, I always considered myself to be bright in a streetwise, bright kind of way, very Mm -hmm. driven. Um, I was in top sets at school, yet I was not um, really that interested in in the academic side of things. And um, and I remember having a conversation with my mum one day and, and, you know, being from an academic family, my dad was a dentist, my brother's a dentist and, you know, and so forth, they kind of were a bit concerned about, you know, at the age of 12, why was their daughter not following sure. in that path? Right. And I remember turning around to my mum and going, Mum, Mum, don't worry. I'm going to be as big as Oprah Winfrey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that has always been kind of my mentality. Right. I've always had this belief system that it's not about that you have to be the best, you have to be the cleverest, you mm-hmm. have to be the brightest. You have to have a determination and what I call you have to have Richard Branson's balls sure. <laughs> to be able to, I write that in my book, right. to be able to actually push yourself forward and take yourself to that next level when when things come into your life that perhaps people are going to try and knock you off and yeah. say you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, for me, I left school at a young age. I ran the shop that I left school for at the age of 16. And I felt like I could I could open a shop at 18. You yeah. know, why not? And so that's exactly what I did and partnered with a guy who already had a, 
quite a successful men's shop. Okay. And we did it together. Right. And it's interesting, uh, you know, recognising I'm going to be as big as Oprah Winfrey, perhaps not consciously, but it's all about personal brand. And uh, and, and thus is your career unfolded. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> so at the age of 12, I recognised that. Oprah Winfrey for me was an interesting one because Oprah Winfrey for me always kind of, I mean even at a young age I felt like she was quite different, it wasn't just about her celebrity status but the fact that she was a strong woman that she had strong beliefs and mm-hmm. she was doing something different mm-hmm. and it and it, and it really struck me Right. Um, and Richard Branson obviously at the time was the same and, and, my, and my thought pattern was always, and, and I worked in the world of celebrity, my mm-hmm. shop, I had a famous footballer's wife work for me, and I, okay. and, and I got that first taste of what celebrity does for a brand mm-hmm. and how it can sell out product very okay. quickly. Yep. And so I've gone through my life building brands and building people's brands, mm-hmm. so working with celebrities on turning them into a business brand right. and then now working with business leaders on turning them into what I call a celebrity business leader sure. brand. Okay. And so uh, why was it that you sold out of your shop quite quickly after only two years? Well, me being me, I'm a typical serial entrepreneur that likes to move on and do the next. Right. So um, I, I then spotted a huge gap in the market with my then partner, who was a shoe designer, a very, okay. very successful shoe designer. And we spotted a big gap in the market for fashion sneakers when mm-hmm. there were only sports-related sneakers. Right. Yeah. And so we designed a footwear brand called Stride. And... Um, we sold 120,000 pairs yeah, of shoes that. in the first season right. and there was an obvious gap and so you know left sold the shop decided to do the footwear brand mm-hmm. and you know within four years we had it in seven distribution channels we had the shoes in the design museum as design classics next to Evian bottles and wow. we sold the business to Caterpillar when Fantastic. I was 24. And what uh, do you think it was that enabled you to get such immediate success uh, with that footwear brand? really identifying that gap in the market was the first thing and understanding who the customer was and what they were looking for and also and then you know my partner Justin was a very very um, bright uh, designer okay. and, and, and could really design in a, in a very different way right. and so the combination of our skill sets sure. between being able to identify the brand area and having a very you know brilliant designer yep. boomed right literally from the doors when the doors opened we had waiting lists of all the shops okay celebrities were wearing them the beastie boys were wearing them robbie williams were wearing them right you know all the shops were queuing up for them we had you know it was uh yeah it was a it was a moment in time exciting time yeah for a young person yeah. uh, to get some really early success must have just given you a huge degree of confidence in your own skills and abilities You would think so. And at the same time, um, as a young entrepreneur at the age of 21, and you're having to open up letter of credits and deal with foreign currency exchange Mm -hmm. and run a business and run seven distribution channels and fly over to Korea and stand in a factory as a young lady Mm -hmm. with, you know, with a a factory full of Korean men. Sure. Was um, actually stressful. Right. So what sort of mentors did you have around or people that you could lean on for advice and uh, guidance to deal with the, you know, the hardcore business elements of what you were doing? They didn't exist. Right. So when I was 21, I'd never heard of what a mentor was. Right. It never... I never knew that they even existed. Mm-hmm. So Justin and I literally learned on the job, right? And learned how to do, how to run a business, how to build a distribution channel, how to sell, how to market, how to brand, how to do, how to manage staff. Mm-hmm. You know, all the stuff that you know. At age twenty-one, all my friends were going to university, mm-hmm. and I was on my second business, right? And um, and it was exciting we were earning a lot of money and you know it was incredible and you know we were doing a lot of media and articles and our profile Mm -hmm. and we were hanging out with a lot of celebrities and influencers and it was ridiculously stressful Mm -hmm. yeah did you at any stage did you think that you needed to go and do some kind of formal business qualifications or you just uh, had an innate confidence in your own abilities my honest answer I didn't even know that that would 
be a possibility. Right. I left school at such a young age that when you leave school at such a young age, you just you just di deep dive in and you learn on the job and you think that's the only way. Mm -hmm. There's nobody there saying to you, "Would you? Why don't you consider going to do a, a business degree? Sure. Or why? Yep. You know that 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 just wasn't." in my psyche okay so okay yeah. and so did caterpillar approach you or were you actually looking at that point to sell the business and move on no well when we when we first got the order for the for the shoes um actually you think 120,000 pairs of shoes wow that's fantastic and then you immediately go how on earth are we going to fund this um, and now I look at young entrepreneurs that are going for funding and obviously mm -hmm. I work in a business that funds and um, my, I went on a whole journey of what funding meant at the age of 21 and, and eventually we got a government loan and, and were able to do that and, mm -hmm. and, and managed to get the whole thing produced. Okay. Um, the Caterpillar team that was UK based at the time um, uh, were... The, the, the shoe industry is, is relatively incestuous, mm -hmm. so everybody knows everybody, and, and I'd worked in the shoe industry for a number of years because my partner was a shoe designer. Mm -hmm. um, and so they followed us, and they tracked what we were doing, and, and we were so, we were the leading brand at the time right. in the market. We were in all the newspapers, we were in all the magazines, we were on television, we were, you know, we were all the, all the waiting lists and, you know, all the big shops from Neiman Marcus in America to Beams in Japan to Office Shoes in London. Right. You know, everybody was selling our shoes. Sure. So um, they approached us and they approached us a few times before we decided to sell. Mm -hmm. And so at that point then, what was in your mind about the next stage of your career? It wasn't. Right. I was 24. We built this brand. I was quite burn out as well from yep. doing all that mm -hmm. I was still young so I was still partying mm -hmm. and you know living a young life sure. at the same time as yeah. running a global business and um, I, I, I didn't we sold and I didn't go oh now I'm gonna do this right we sold and then I spotted another gap uh -huh. so I'm a brand person I right. build businesses from a brand space mm -hmm. and I look at what's not in the market or what can I build off from something that's already in the market and make it different. So what was the next gap that you identified then? Um, well then we started the, then I started the agency and at the time there was only it girls doing uh, marketing and PR agencies and I built a business that actually built brands Right. and it was uh, not just coming from an it girl so kind of like I don't know if you know the, the television program Ab Fab. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> so this was about building a business that came from a business point of view right. that looked at how to build revenue in people's businesses, how to market it, how to PR it, how to build product lines because mm -hmm. I've come from a product space mm -hmm. and go from a top-down approach, look at going from brand, then looking at product, then looking at channel strategy and mm -hmm. then looking at what's the campaign that sits around it. And so... As you can imagine, because of my background and owning the footwear brand, I picked up, I opened the doors and I, and I immediately had some very famous people that wanted to work with me brands wise. Sure. Mark Newsom being one of them yes. who's the, who designed the iWatch. So I launched his book and his car and his watch and came to Sydney for the millennium and did the opera house with him. Okay. And then um, I worked with Comme de Garçon and did a collaboration with Dryshod and I worked with a very famous Parisian brand called Courrèges, mm -hmm. which was one of the biggest, oldest fashion houses in, in France. Mm -hmm. And they were my first three clients. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the, I often get asked the question because I'm meeting with CEOs all the time. Yeah. Richard, how many CEOs are actually competent? You know, when you meet them, how many really impress you? So to ask you a similar sort of question, you're going into these big branded um, uh, uh, client organisations and when you walked in, I mean, how advanced were they in terms of their own understanding of branding or were you really bringing a whole new uh, way of considering what they do and, and how they get it to market? I started in the world of consumer. I came from the world of retail and manufacturing and transferred all that knowledge into a brand space. So mm -hmm. um, I, I felt like I was ahead of the game and right. I've also built from a business perspective because I'd run, and mm -hmm. run a global business. Um, so going into businesses like that, 
I, I broke them down into three areas, people that were in build, people that were in renovate, and people that were in refresh. Right. So the build area was somebody that was kind of in the early stage of growth. The mm -hmm. renovate was one that actually had a brand that was either laying dormant, yep. had been around, that was famous, and actually was not doing very well anymore, mm -hmm. or somebody that had been around a long time and needed a whole renovation. Mm -hmm. Refresh was a brand that was doing well in the market and needed to stay ahead of the game, so it's mm -hmm. called a refresher brand. Mm -hmm. And so in that mindset, you, you, you then have kind of three different types of CEOs mm -hmm. that you're working with, or C-suite, I mean, I, I worked a lot with C-suite yeah. um, as well. And so the Renovate, I, I, I worked with a brand called Pringle of Scotland, mm -hmm. do you know them? Mm -hmm. And brought them back from a golfing brand to a brand on Bond Street. Right. And I was brought in specifically by uh, Kim Windsor, who was a very successful CEO. And she was a very famous, successful woman that was at Marks and Spencers. She was brought into Pringle. She, she picked her own team and I was the part mm -hmm. of the team to build the brand. And. Um, and you know, when you work with a lady like her and you're doing a renovation project, she massively gave me free reign on to be able to design and deliver what I wanted to do to be able to get it from a golfing brand to a brand on Bond Street. So people like her are fantastic. She was quite entrepreneurially minded. She was open-minded. We knew we had the job in hand. We knew where we were going from and where we were going to. There are other people that I've worked with that go, Lindsay, we need you know, particularly when you've when you've done a successful project like that, you then mm -hmm. have a queue of people sure. coming in. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden like the number of people that want to then bring their brands back. And yet there's fear around it. Sure. So all of a sudden this is their brand, their baby, and on the one hand they've seen the job that you've done and mm -hmm. on the other hand it's quite difficult to get them to shift. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, because they've been in a mindset to be able to think about their brand in a completely different mm. way. I'm very known in the market for turning brands upside down mm -hmm. and actually bringing out a much bigger brand value for the business mm -hmm. than people have designed them off as, as the status quo as they are today. Mm -hmm. And so given that you started to build this reputation and you probably were given more opportunities than you had the ability to deliver on, what was part of your own due diligence in terms of looking at an organisation and saying, I want to work with them or not? Uh, culturally aligned okay. was my main thing, really. Um, people used to come to me and say, why are you working with that brand? Like Armand Bassi was a one that's a European brand, and actually a lot of people in the market were going, why are you working with that brand? It's not very, you know, it's not very cool. Okay. And, um, and I, I loved a challenge. I loved picking something up that was so derelict or broken right. and actually renovating the whole mm -hmm. brand mm -hmm. and bringing it back and we brought it back to be a number one brand on uh, uh, for fashion week this right week. okay yeah. great and when you're looking out now at the landscape of all of these brands in the market are there any in particular go wow I'd really love to get my teeth into that one I could do a lot with that brand Oh, it's interesting because um, three years ago I transferred all my knowledge. So 15 years working in the consumer space, I, I met up with Darren Sherlock yeah. and I transferred all my knowledge and he made me the youngest uh, partner of the group, youngest female partner, and brought me in specifically to, to build out their global brand. Sure. And uh, my criteria was that I wanted to transfer all my knowledge into any industry sector. Okay. So his business was growing funding and exiting people's businesses, yeah. so that was very different for right. me. Yeah. And also any industry sector meant that I now work across people that have 3D printing companies through to an accountant or a HR or a lawyer. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and uh, particularly when, when I'm not working one-on-one -on -one with them and I'm working with them in the school, mm -hmm. what I really love, it's not so much about, oh, now there's that brand that I want to work with. I love more having multiple brands mm -hmm. in the room and actually being able to shift the world through to a new era mm -hmm. through the eyes of brands. Mm -hmm. So if I can grab hold of all of these different brands and make a shift through building the brand off a commercial and cultural particularly building the purpose that sits within the organization. Mm -hmm. What excites me the most is that can make a shift on a bigger plane. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of people who sort of sit outside this space and they look at TV shows like Mad Men and they sort of <laughs> yes. see this idea of the advertising person coming in and being briefed about delivering a particular 
program or, or um, strategy for a product, you're much more about the underlying core value of the, the business and making sure that all of its extensions in terms of its product and, uh, and brand, etc., all come and tied into what the business is, its why, I suppose. Yeah, so um, I, I say, I tell people I'm not a branding expert yeah i build brands sure it's very different right. i build a, what it is it's a business model from mm -hmm. a brand construct mm -hmm. so i look at what is the asset that sits within the organization most people haven't looked at the the real assets that's sitting within there and then um, overlay that with the gap in mm -hmm. the market and then the vision the purpose why they're doing what they're doing mm -hmm. and then who the who conversation is one of the most important things. Who are they talking to and how are they going to listen? And then we build that first, what I call the brand DNA. But we build brands today off three pillars, brand, people, mm -hmm. and purpose. Right, okay. And when I started in this world, it was only off brand. Right. So has that been part of your evolution in thinking post working with Sherlaws or were you already doing these things yourself before you came within the Sherlaws sort of construct? When I was working through the agency, I worked with very big brands, smaller brands and so forth. And it was very much around the commerciality that sat within the brand. So mm -hmm. very much from the brand space. Mm -hmm. Why I wanted to go to Sherlaws, um, one of the reasons is this thing that we've now defined called brand culture okay. and the alignment between brand and culture and mm -hmm. the impact that can have internally within an organization and externally within the market. Mm -hmm. So we actually bring the brand conversation internally mm -hmm. into the business and we take the culture conversation as a marketing exercise externally right. into the market. Okay, okay. Um, and so building a, building a business off brand, people and purpose, now the market's ready for it, mm -hmm. um, the people are more visible within organisations than ever before, people buy into people, so it's not the starting point is no longer brand, in mm -hmm. fact the starting point is people and then and, and built off a purpose and then people look to the brand, so it actually has to align all three and not just sit um, on its own. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Let's, uh, before we get into a more robust conversation about some of that, I'm interested also, you had a, a, a foray into television and you did a yes. few interesting things in that space. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, whilst building, whilst building one, two, three businesses, I was also running um, a TV career. So I started um, when I first had the shoe brand and did a documentary for BBC. Um, and they followed myself and my partner around um, the shoe designer and that mm -hmm. was our first big program. Right. And then from that I landed um, uh, T4 which was a very, very successful, very big program in the UK that was kind of a fashion lifestyle okay. program and I was their fashion expert every week Right. Um, and that was for a number of years. And then from that, I was on BBC Breakfast News, doing uh, most weeks, doing different interviews, talking about different topics. And then I landed my first big television program, which was Say No to the Knife. And I did an eight, eight series program that actually they distributed globally. Um, and it, that was all about looking at uh, women and men under the age of 25 that were going under the knife. Mm -hmm. And my job was to get them to uh, look at themselves from uh, how they look, their brand, their own personal brand, right. what they were eating, how they were, how they were acting, and actually get them to stop going under the knife. And, and there was myself and another presenter who was a psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, that that television program went out, and I used to get people ringing me when they were in Hong Kong or something, going, "I've just seen you on television." Right. <laughs> so I've always loved television, and now. Um, I still do a lot of stuff with BBC World, we're just about to build the, our online TV channel, mm -hmm. our own online TV channel which mm -hmm. is going to launch at the end of 2016. Um, and so yeah, TV's always been my life. Right, and it will remain part of your career moving forward. Uh, always. Right. I'm okay. always doing television stuff, yeah. Okay, great. So I'm interested in going down a couple of different pathways here. So firstly, you've obviously not only been working on your client's brand but also your own personal brand yes. so for people who are listening to this podcast who are earlier in their career and they're wanting to take their career to its fullest potential what are the some of the uh, 
uh, pieces of advice that you would offer in terms of how they can consciously um, evaluate their personal brand and then uh, start to implement some strategies to improve it? Um, most people ask me where to get started and the same conversation that I tell them about the brand is the same conversation that I tell them about the person that is you need to know who you are what your micro voice is what you're talking about you need to design your personal DNA which mm -hmm. is what we do in the Bob School um, and align that with your business brand so most people keep, are keeping them separate mm -hmm. and what we do is we align them up together so we create their micro voice and before we do anything around the how, how they're going to do it, how they're going to activate it, we design their full personal DNA. So I'm, for, I'm not familiar with the expression micro voice. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So we create their, what we call their voice that aligns with the macro voice of the brand. Right. So their micro voice then aligns with um, who they are, what their purpose is, what topics do they want to talk about, who are they talking to, mm -hmm. how are they going to engage with them, where are they going to engage with them, an omni-channel approach, which means online and offline, okay. anywhere and everywhere. Sure. Um, and we design that full, it's a, it's a day, we design that full template out for them mm -hmm. that aligns with the two-day program that we do through the school so that you have your three-day brand DNA and personal DNA. Mm -hmm. Once you understand who you are, what your gap is in the market, how you're going to talk to your customer, what topics and so forth, then you can go and design out, right, now these are the tools that I need, these are the channels that I'm going to use, this is the campaign that I'm going to build out, mm -hmm. this is the community strategy and so forth. And I imagine that what you're talking about here is just as relevant to somebody working within a corporate in terms of their own brand as a, and what do they call it, an intrapreneur, yeah. as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. I'm now heavily working with corporates mm -hmm. and being called in quite often to look at what I call the business celebrity brands. Right. Um, so uh, I recently spoke to a very, very big global organization and said to them, have you, uh, look, I know that you look at aligning your brand with the people, have you looked at aligning your people with the brand? And there's a fear base around that Absolutely. because then you have to allow them to have a voice. What I talk to people about is they already have a voice. Absolutely. They're already out there. Mm -hmm. They're already on the internet. Yep. So do you want to help them to understand how to communicate mm -hmm. your me their message and mm -hmm. your message aligned? Or do you just want people going out broadcasting yep. anything? Yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting point. I mean, certainly from my point of view, we have uh, my clients are very large organisations, and they have people leading divisions yeah. who are there because of their technical competency, but have no uh, idea or any real desire to work on their personal brand. No. And so, as a result, the organisation, to use a KPI term, talking to Glenn the other day, is faceless. Yeah. Um, uh, and yet, sometimes the organisation are resistant to. Uh, developing their key people as key people of influence because oh then they'll leave you right. know so if they become too uh sexy for one of a better term yeah. then they are at risk of, of exit and and it's it's a real cultural um uh, realignment of organisations to say we now need to recognise that because of our executive leaders being on Twitter and being on LinkedIn and, and uh, doing podcasts and all of this kind of stuff that uh, we either um, take ownership of it or we just let it go crazy and, and become an anarchistic sort of uh, outcome which is uncontrollable. So you heard me earlier on in the interview talk about brand culture mm -hmm. and that is very much aligned as well to the corporate space. So exactly, um, I want to acknowledge what you just said around yeah. the culture piece. It is a culture piece and what we decide what we design is by creating their micro voice by going off their purpose and aligning it with the business purple purpose you actually align the people with the culture of the whole organization mm -hmm. what you then find is that when they're going out talking about their purpose the brand what they want to be known for the topics um, they are at they feel passionate and proud to do that from that space and mm. actually it creates longevity within the organization and not the other way around well, I think also not just being passionate and proud but also just being confident that they can do it properly of course. Uh, because these people are flying without it you know uh, yeah. without a net and yeah. suddenly they go wow 
there's just some simple steps and if I just follow the bouncing ball, yeah. uh, I can make a success of this. So the interesting thing was um, recently in the UK, I spoke to a room full of women that were that are executives about to go on boards. Right. Very, very big corporates. I mean, right. very well-known businesses, sure. 12 of them. Um, 12 different businesses, very famous businesses. Obviously, can't mention the names. And so, and these were uh, women joining their boards, or people working for them that were joining other boards. Women that are about to go on their boards on their board. of their businesses, and right. they're being trained on what they need to do in order to get Fantastic. onto the board. So, I asked the room, "Who has been into your organisation and looked at the people brand that sits within the business?" Mm -hmm. One out of the 12 mm -hmm. put their hand up and said somebody has been in and looked at our LinkedIn profiles yeah oh, and for that sure. is it and they didn't ask what they wanted to talk about yep. they just redid the LinkedIn yeah absolutely one look, out of 12 yeah I look uh, I've recently uh, for my own purposes looked at the LinkedIn profiles of the C-suite of the ASX top 200 right I would say 98% of their LinkedIn profiles are terrible. Their photograph is terrible. And I imagine that it's not through any uh, resistance, it's just through ignorance. So, yeah. yeah. Let me, um, the, the interesting thing, if people could get this into their mindset, it's a huge ROI for yeah. the organization. And the main reason is it's a channel strategy. Mm -hmm. Every single person that sits within a corporate, so each corporate must have thousands upon thousands of people working for them, right? Sure. How many people? So I have 58,000, I think it is, uh, people sitting on my digital network. Right. That's one person in an organization. Add up everybody's database in a social play that's sitting within a corporate organization. Mm -hmm. And they're all going and externally marketing and trying mm -hmm. to get sales leads. When the reality is if they internally mm -hmm. did, the, did the same process and then use the people within the organization as a channel strategy yeah. to market, they would be able to be accessing people's databases mm -hmm. that are already existing. That's fascinating. Uh, this has been a great conversation for me because I, I'm in this space and yet your little light bulbs are going off in my head uh, around this for sure. This is my world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, Shulers, yes. um, uh, and I am interviewing Darren Shuler, the you founder are? of Shulers, for uh, the podcast too, so I don't want to steal any of his thunder, but um, uh, Shulers uh, work with a range of organisations from smaller right through to very large corporates. Yeah. You've been with the business for a few years now. I have. What, what would be a couple of examples of um, uh, organisations that you've worked with and you've been able to really do something uh, creative around their brand and, and deliver some great outcomes? Um, well, Sherlaw's being one of them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting because when I went into Sherlaw's, my first thing was to say, well, we are, in order for me to work and do what we're going to do, mm -hmm. I need to work on your brand first. Mm -hmm. Because the brand, uh, we, we took the brand from being a coaching brand to being a brand that is now recognized in the market as growing funding and exiting mm -hmm. people's businesses. And the repositioning process, going through 13 countries, going internal and external, building global campaigns, building a global brand strategy, being able to then connect that with a full product architecture that goes across seven different business lines, mm -hmm. building out a full channel strategy and then looking at campaign architecture that sits across the whole business model above and all the individual revenue lines that mm -hmm. sit underneath it is a huge job. Absolutely. Huge. Yeah. And so by doing that, the impact of that is that all of a sudden it creates a pull strategy in mm -hmm. the market for us and not a push strategy. Sure. We now are opening up doors internationally with, we've just opened up Istanbul, we've just opened up Mexico. Both countries came to us and said, we want to work with your brand. Yeah. Your brand is fantastic yeah this is what we want to do yeah and um, you know clients coming through the doors partnerships with mm -hmm. massive global organizations that are coming to us mm -hmm. and us not going to them anymore mm -hmm. that's the impact of redefining and redesigning your brand strategy mm -hmm. Then you look at the branding, what's the logo, what's the mm -hmm. vision, what visual tone, how does it look and mm -hmm. feel. But a brand strategy, if you design it out properly end to end, has an impact for the business of revenue growth that is you know, sure. And you know, what's really interesting about that, I've been associated with Shirley's through having a friendship with Tim Dwyer, the Australian right. CEO for a long time. So, yeah. And uh, in my business, I come across uh, 
uh, coaching and consulting organisations all the time, right from, you know, the big four uh, to uh, little mum and dad coaches. Yeah. The thing about Churlis is that the IP in that business is amazing and it's so robust and, uh, and yet uh, they didn't probably... Um, realise any of the potential of what that, they could actually do with that. They'd built this amazing IP which was delivering great results for their clients and so I imagine that what you've really done is you've said look let's actually um, take that IP to its fullest potential by putting a brand you know, strategy around it which is going to enable that. That must have been a really fascinating. Oh I mean the journey's been incredible and now the business is seeing the reaping the rewards and starting to see some of the things that are coming through and at the same time when you start on a process like that with an organization like that there is also fear that sits around mm -hmm. it because you're going to shift mm -hmm. the whole organization and you're going and it's quite a considerable shift mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. the interesting piece is that we um the business was built um although the business has ridiculous ip that is World class, you know that, Definitely. right? Um, actually, the the strategy for Sherlers was always this: it takes six minutes to copy the IP, mm -hmm. it takes six months to copy the systems, and it takes six years to copy the culture. Mm -hmm. And so the business has always been built on the culture mm -hmm. of the organisation, and that's the thing that we actually put at the forefront of the organisation: mm -hmm. the brand culture. Okay, and so now you've uh, you've done that work with Sherlers, and yeah. so you've created this school, the School of Bob. Yes. Uh, uh, so Bob is uh, the business of brand, right. which incorporates the business, all the Sherlaw's IP and the brand, all right. my IP, sure. and bringing the two together in a school. And is that only operating in the UK or is that um, operating more broadly than that? Uh, we're operating in Australia, so we launched here in November and I've, I flew over here now to run the school as right. well as the conference with, okay. with Darren. Yes. Um, we are in the UK and then we're just going over to Canada to launch in May right. okay. and then I'm over in LA to look at launching it in America for 2017. Right, and, uh, and so if you had to talk about the typical kind of business that participates in Bob, yeah. you know, what would they, what would that be? Oh gosh, you know, what I love about the school is that it's such a diverse mix. So we had a 3D printer guy who's there you know we're remodeling his business sat next to literally a, a man that's doing hr and um and the broad sweep like in australia at the moment the broad sweep that comes in from somebody that's got a fantastic online uh store that's like asos yes. and then you have um an interior designer so it's it's not that these are celebrity brands mm -hmm. not from the world like sure. i came from i mean that was my world right yeah. What I love about it is that we're creating brands with a purpose mm -hmm. that actually could go off and make a huge difference and make a shift in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find incredibly appealing. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they come into the into Bob and most, most of these businesses are building their business from a product space mm -hmm. and have no concept of actually building it from a brand strategy space. And so what happens is when you build it off a product space, you have, you're, you, you're not clear on why you're doing it, what you're doing, who you're doing it to, mm -hmm. what's the outcome of it and so forth. So in the school, we literally look at turning people's business models on their head and build out a much bigger brand value that if once they've built the brand strategy out and they want to go and get funding mm -hmm. or they're looking at even an exit strategy, it will provide them with a much bigger value mm -hmm. than they would have done before they came in. Mm -hmm. And I imagine uh, if somebody was to read your book, it would give them a good introduction to the philosophies that underpin all of this. The book has all the five steps of the methodology that we teach in the school. Mm -hmm. I actually give all the tips and tips and the games away that right. I run through the agency. Yeah. So you can, just by buying the book, mm -hmm. um, build your brand strategy from the book. Obviously you come into the school and we go much deeper mm -hmm. and we, you know, we do it in a whole workshop program. Um, and then through the school, we look at then getting you fund ready. Right. So um, if you're looking for funding or if you're looking at, you know, where do you go, what to do for that? Once you've completed the eight days, we then mm -hmm. have a program to get okay. you fund ready. And I note from reading your uh, profile that you've also had some involvement with the KPI, Key Person of Influence yes, Program. Yes, I so have, those fabulous men. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about that. Well, um, I've known Daniel Priestley, who's the who the founder, um, for a number of years. My husband did KPI in the UK, and um, 
look, KPI is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, building your business as a key person of influence and looking at what pitch, what products, what book, what partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went up to, da you know, Daniel and I had a conversation and, and talked about, well, how about I teach the profile side of KPI and, you know, it was just one of those love moments when right. it was like, yes. Right. <laughs> and I was so delighted to be teaching it because it's such my space. I love the brand. I think KPI is phenomenal. Um, I think gl what Glenn's doing in Australia mm -hmm. is brilliant. Um, I, it would be interesting to maybe do a Bob School KPI mashup. Well, I was just, <laughs> I was, I was just thinking that, uh, you know, in many respects, uh, what you're talking about from a personal brand point of view has a degree of overlap with uh, what KPI are about. Yeah. But in terms of the broader uh, context within the business per se and, yeah. and around leadership and uh, it's quite it's quite different, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's very yeah. different. I mean, right. I go in and teach in KPI uh, the principles of building your own personal brand. Yeah. And in the school, I'm teaching them how to build a brand strategy. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I have a day when I look at your personal brand and then I incorporate it into the whole brand strategy. Right. Um, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's, they're, they're very complementary. I mean, mm -hmm. it would be brilliant to do Absolutely. Bob KPI mishmash. Mash <laughs> well, we, mash we might have a chat about that. Yeah. And so um, uh, now looking to the future for yourself. Yeah. Okay, you're still uh, obviously got plenty of petrol in the tank and Absolutely. no doubt you've got lots and lots of exciting things that you want to do in the future. What are, what are some of your sort of uh, big ticket items that you want to uh, uh, perhaps approach and uh, conquer over the next five to ten years? Um, I've got a new book and the TV channel that I'm looking to do, which is all around shifting the world into a new era and what that looks like. Okay. Um, and then I have a massive piece around... Um, designing and fronting the foundation with Darren right. um, for Sherlaws and the school mm -hmm. and uh, looking at youth and education mm -hmm. and health and family, they're the three areas, and making a massive impact with that. So um, that's my, I mean, that is my absolute, that's my personal sure. purpose. Yeah. And then what I'm, what I'm, my next phase, I would say, for the Lindsay Boyd world. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what sort of things do you do when you're not working to keep you uh, energised and, and uh, excited about life? I have always loved yoga, so I've done yoga from a very young age. Um, I'm into Iyengar yoga, so from like 18, I've, I've always been a bit of a yogi. Um, and I'm very sporty, so, you know, I love tennis and I'm absolutely um, obsessed with skiing right. and, and snowboarding. And, um, and then, you know, the usual, I've got two small kids that are my world mm -hmm. and my husband and you know, they're seven and four. So right. we, we do, I do live the Sherlock's principles of going away for three months and we take the kids with us and we do business trips with the kids. Right. And so if I'm coming to Australia or we're going to LA or yeah. we brought the kids um, into Australia last November for okay. a month okay. whilst I was working and yeah. my husband was working. Right, yes, it's uh, it's difficult, isn't it? My wife and I both work, we have two right. young kids and far out. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's not easy to run a successful business oh. and be a good parent and, you know, uh, contribute through not-for-profit type uh, activities and so on, uh, it makes life pretty hectic. It does, and that and um, well, that's one of the areas for the foundation that we're talking about, mm -hmm. that whole entrepreneurial family, the juggle, how now women and men are together in the home and in the boardroom mm -hmm. and what that looks like. So... Um, I have my uh, I have my home husband Gary, and then I have my work husband Darren. <laughs> and, uh, we often laugh about that, right. and so um, it's interesting the juggle. Yeah, what I what I find more interesting is that actually now I'm in a partnership, running things together. It's no longer that the man's doing something mm. and the woman's doing something else. Mm -hmm. At home, my husband and I, as you will know, being an entrepreneurial family, are very much having to do this together. Yeah. And in the business, you know, Darren and I mm -hmm. work together and, and head it up and 
the male-female energy works. Sure, absolutely. So, look, I appreciate you're a busy lady and you've got other things to get on with today. Just before we wrap it up, um, again, going back to the premise of this podcast, really being there to showcase people who have achieved great things in their career and share some wisdom with people who are wanting to develop their own career to their full potential. What, how would you finish out this conversation in terms of some advice to the listeners about the, the critical things that they need to be mindful of uh, to get the most happiness and, uh, and reward out of what they do? Listen to yourself is the key one because your own inner self will always guide you mm -hmm. and that's always been my main thing because and that's that's um that's personal and business mm -hmm. so there is a balance um i think for a man and a woman these days this is not just a female conversation anymore there is a balance between work and life mm -hmm. and yourself sure um and so getting that right for me is always at the absolute forefront, making sure that I do have time with the children and I've nourished myself through doing my yoga and, and those kind of things. And I work and I'm driven and I can go and I can travel and so forth. And at the same time, when I say listen to yourself, also listen to your inner self in the sense of people will try and tell you not to do something uh, you know, you can't do that. That's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And you can if you want to, and you will. And would you say that throughout your entire career, you've intentionally and deliberately listened to your intuition? All the time. Right, and is that something that you've had to consciously develop? I mean, there are a lot of people who would say, I get this idea of intuition or the male version gut feel, right. but I'm so removed from it, I don't even know how to tap back into that. Um, this is more, even on a, on a top player level, um, looking at when somebody says you can't do that just take a moment and think think or actually just take a moment don't think at all <laughs> just take a moment and go can I yeah should I is that on my purpose mm -hmm. is that what I am looking to achieve in this world and if it is then you know who cares whether you fail mm -hmm. it's not about failing it's mm -hmm. about learning on the journey mm -hmm. so take yourself on the journey and commit to it it's not so much that you have to listen to your gut feel okay that's brilliant and yes I, 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 I do do that yet that's not so much what I'm talking about it's more around listen to you yeah and I think you know the opposite uh, side of that coin is if something doesn't feel right yeah. then don't then do it. don't do it yeah then don't do it yeah you know because you do know and I think that's more often the case is that people will something will uh, uh, something will appear on their radar and they uh, it's an exciting opportunity or it looks at face value to be really a great thing to do but there's just a little voice inside saying I don't know about that I one Richard and I, you what, uh, I, I mean I know from my own point of view it's very very hard to actually say no and uh, yeah. and trust that voice isn't it, it is absolutely yeah. and yet it's the thing that will drive you through the whole of your life mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we all well, make mistakes right? we sure do <laughs> well, I God, I made loads. <laughs> well I think on that note let's uh, wind it up thanks very much uh, Lindsay I really appreciate your time it's been a great conversation and uh, have a fantastic time in Australia and I'd like to say thank you very much for inviting me onto the show I think you've got a really fantastic business good thank, thank you. you well we can talk about you helping my brand as well oh, thanks perfect. a lot okay <laughs> thank you bye bye Well, thanks for joining me on the Arate podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. There's probably a little bit of background noise there, given we were sitting on a roof. I hope that wasn't too distracting. But have a wonderful week. I really look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And if I can assist you in connecting with Lindsay in relation to any of the work that she's doing, I'd be more than happy to do so. Have a great day.